Yeah, you better. I'll preach all night. I'm looking for a clock. No, I doubt I would do that. Brother Andy always had one up here, but he's got this beautiful new pulpit here. And uh, so, but it is good to be here. I'm just delighted. We're glad to be here with you again this year. This makes number how many? 24. Man, I must have started young. <laughs> but it's good to be here. It's good to have Joan with me. Good to have my wife. She was able to make it this year, and we're, uh, I'm, I'm always happy about that. But we're excited about what the Lord's going to do. I'm excited about that testimony. Amen. We serve a mighty God, a mighty, mighty God. And, her, and our sister sharing that with us is an encouragement to all of us to believe God to meet our needs because he loves us all, does he not? And uh, share this with you very briefly, and then we'll go to Hebrews chapter 11 for a few verses of Scripture. We were in South Carolina earlier in the month, and on a Thursday night, I think it was the 10th of this month, we were there, and a precious man labored to get into the building on a crutch and with a brace on leg paralysis his left leg from a stroke but before he left there that night he was running the aisles praising God I'm telling you I got without his crutch without his brace healed I got uh, correspondence from him Friday just telling about the great things God had done in his life not only the paralysis was healed but he said he got up next morning checked his sugar God had healed his diabetes, just, just a great miracle of God. And then we come in here tonight and hear this testimony. So we ought to just have a good time, hadn't we? Because as we serve our Lord, believe God, God's going to do great things for us this week. Uh, Brother Andy mentioned this, uh, the highlight of the year for the church. It's certainly one of the highlights for Joan and I to come here. And uh, we do feel at home. We just feel right at home and just excited about these services and the fellowship and all that the Lord is going to do for us while we're here this week. We are closer uh, to home to the coming of the Lord than we've ever been. And that ought to be a uh, fact that stirs us to draw nigh to God. We're going to read the book of Hebrews tonight, chapter 11. And uh, if you would, I'd like for you to stand. Again, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then remain standing, and we'll read a few verses of Scripture, talk to you for a few minutes tonight. Our Father in heaven, we're indeed grateful for your love and your mercy and kindness and goodness toward us, that you have graced and allowed us another opportunity to enter into your presence, into your house, and into this place to worship our God. God, this wonderful, wonderful church, this wonderful group of people, every soul that's here tonight, we're praying a special blessing upon them that you would pour out of your spirit in a great, a grand, and a glorious way. I submit to you my life, my being, everything that I am, that you might use me as an instrument in your hand tonight. With that precious anointing, let it flow. Let this people hear the word of God. Meet with us in the altars in a glorious way, and we will be forever grateful. Give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you that uh, know the Word of God, familiar with the Word of God, you understand that if you're going to take a text from the 11th chapter of Hebrews, you just need to read the whole chapter. I mean, where, how, do you, how do you pick a verse out of this, you know? I mean, it's such a grand Thing, But we will start with verse 32 uh, and read down for a few verses here just to set the scene and get us started in this message. The writer said he's talked to us about men like Noah and Abraham and Moses and on down the line. And then in verse 32 he said, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight 
the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockerings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And you can be seated right there. I read to you tonight from this chapter. This, this, this chapter chronicles many of the heroes of faith. And that's exactly what we read tonight, a list here that included names like Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel. And then he just said the prophets. That included men like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and, and Daniel and, and Habakkuk and on down the line. But he said in verse 38 that the world was not worthy of these people because they were what we call heroes of the faith. Today is Memorial Day, and the men and women that we celebrate today are heroes, those that fought and died for us, that laid down their lives, that we could live and worship our God and live in freedom and we say thank God for those heroes of the United States of America that were willing to pay the ultimate price. We think about that. We had a great representation yesterday in our church. We had several, several families and members of families that stood yesterday morning as a testimony that they have lost a loved one in combat. They watched one go away and not come home, and some of you know that feeling very well. We had one 97-year-old World War II veteran in our church yesterday morning, along with veterans from other wars and other times, and we honored them because they're heroes. You know what a hero is? A hero is a person that dares to be different. A hero is a person that says, I'm not going to be just a part of the crowd. I'm not going to be just one of the boys or one of the girls, but I'm going to take a stand, and I'm going to make a difference in my world, and I'm going to make a difference with my life. We think about those things today, but I want to talk to you tonight about some people and about what it means to be a hero in our world and in our life. Even though we may never put on a uniform, get on a ship, a plane, or pick up a gun. But God is looking for men and women that will dare to be different in this generation. That will become a hero of the faith. We live in a world today when it seems that everybody wants to fit in. Everybody wants to be a part of the crowd. They want to be a part of the status quo. It seems to me today in this hour that we are just in a generation of copycats and what one person does, another wants to do until we find ourselves following some kind of a spiritual pied piper as we all head our way down the destruction. But I do believe that God right now is looking for some men, some women, some young people that will dare to be different. I've come tonight to ask you a question. Why do you want to just fit in when you could stand out? Amen. Why do you just want to become a face in the crowd when you could be a person that inspires someone else and somebody that can show somebody else the way out of darkness and into the light? We we have too many cookies tonight that's just been cut out of the same cookie cutter by the millions. I'm looking for somebody tonight that'll be the cookie cutter and say, follow me as I follow my God and we'll stand up. We allow this world to control who we are. We allow this world to control our thoughts and our behavior. John and I raised three sons. I hammered into my son's spirits and their mind and, and to the best of my ability. That son, 
You don't let other people tell you when to be sad and when to be happy. You don't let other people tell you when to be glad and when to be mad. But you learn to live your life and you are in control by the help of God in your your emotions and in your actions. But in a world of mass media, in a world of social media, in a world where nobody wants to be an oddball, we find ourselves trying to pattern ourselves after a world that hates God and pattern ourselves after a world that's anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-Christ, and anti-righteousness. Could I ask of you tonight a question? How can I be righteous if I'm patterned myself after an unrighteous world? How can I be godly if I am copying an ungodly world? How can I be a child? to God if I'm allowing Satan's minions to tell me where and when and how to walk and how to talk. Can I get an amen right there somewhere? How in the world, ladies and gentlemen, can I make a difference if I'm not willing to be different? Did you hear what I said? How can I make a difference? How can I make a difference in my family? How can I make a difference in my church? How can I make a difference in my community? I believe tonight that if I ask you individually, if you look around in your family, your community, your church, your world, your nation, if I ask for a show of hands of how many of you see things that ought to be done differently, things that ought to be changed, and it would be 100% because we're all aware of situations that we would like to see being different or changed and turning in a different direction. But if I ask how many of us are willing to be that instrument of change, then we would see hands fall and those that would say, not me, but let someone else do it. Who is that someone else? Who is that person that's going to do it if I don't stand and if I don't do it? Once again, how can I make a difference if I will not allow and permit myself to be different? How can I change if I'm just following the masses and following the crowd? Ladies and gentlemen, somebody's following you. Somebody's following me. Somebody's going to spend eternity somewhere because they watched our lives, because they looked at us. I'm asking you tonight as well as myself, what kind of an influence are we having? If somebody follows my life, then where are they going to end up? If they use your life as an example, then what kind of person are they going to be? Ladies and gentlemen, it's something for us to think about tonight. I'm very passionate about what I'm talking to you about and I think one of the reasons that I am so passionate about this tonight is an incident that happened in my life not many days ago. You see, a week ago last night, I was invited to a church to speak at a high school graduation baccalaureate service. What an honor. What a privilege to be asked to come, especially at my age, and talk to a group of seniors that are graduating and have graduated from high school this year. And I confess to you that I had a wonderful time telling those young people, uh, you know, how is. I'm just telling you us old folks just know, don't we? Uh, But the Lord helped us. We had a great time, a great service. Afterwards, we went into the fellowship hall. You know, we're, we're Pentecostal folks. You can't do anything without eating. You know, amen. Somebody told me one time, said the reason holiness folks eat all the time is because everything else is a sin. So we just eat. It's all we can do. We went into the fellowship hall for a time of fellowship, and there we had a good time. We laughed, and we talked, and we fellowshiped, and we ate, and then we made pictures, and, you know, there are these seniors with their awards and their medals and their tables, and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, they, they, they called off all the awards and things that each one of them received, and I sat there, Brother Rick, and said they didn't do that when I graduated. 
I don't think they gave out awards like that back when I graduated. At least they didn't give them to me. <laughs> but I was just glad the diploma was my. I, but then there was pictures, and uh, you know they were asking for pictures, and and there I would stand with this one, that one, take pictures, and uh, you know I, I felt honored. But then I really felt honored when a man walked up to me with his little six-year-old son by his side. And he looked at me and he said, Brother Kenny, this child listens to you preach every day. Every day. If we get in a vehicle to go anywhere, we have to put on a CD of you preaching. Every day he listens to you preach. I tell you this with a lump in my throat. I'm passionate about making a difference in my world. A six-year-old boy, and he said, every day he listens to you preach. And he said, that's not all. A few days ago, his mom noticed of some way or another that he was wearing the same pair of socks every day. Every day he was wearing the same pair of socks to school. Wouldn't change socks. And finally she said, son, you're going to have to take those socks off. I've got to wash them. You've got to change. He said, Mama, I can't. I can't take these socks off. She said, why can't you take those socks off? He said, these are my Kenny Morris socks. I've never been more honored. And I've never been more challenged. I said, I've never been more honored, and I've never been more challenged. I've never been more challenged, Brother Raymond, to live right, to watch my steps, to watch my tongue, to watch my attitudes, because there's at least one little six-year-old boy that's watching me. And how many more are there out there that's watching you? And they've got socks with your name on it. How many more are out there? You say, well, up there, there, I sure don't know anything about it. No, I didn't know anything about this little fella either until a week ago last night. But I said in my own heart, and my own mind, I thought of teenagers that are taking guns to school that are shooting up their classmates and their schools. And I thought of that little six-year-old boy. And I said, oh, God, if I can keep preaching truth, if I can keep walking in the straight way, if I can keep behaving myself as I ought to, and that little fella can keep following that that is right, then I believe he'll never be one of those that walks into a high school and shoots up a school and kills his classmates. I want to know, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand, it's not about me, it's not about you, but it's about that little boy and millions and millions others that are needing influence in their life. Is there anybody in the house saying, preacher, I'm willing to stay Stand up and be a hero in somebody's life. I'm willing to stand. I dare to be different. Are you born again? Are you a child of the king? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? If you answer yes to those questions, then you don't have any choice. You are different. I said, if you, my God, can I preach a little here tonight? If you answer yes to the question and say, I'm born again. My name's in the Lamb's book of life. I've become a new creature. I've been transformed. I've been brought by God out of darkness into his light. Then you have no choice. You are different. You are 
different because people that are born again are not the same as people out there in this world that have never known Christ. And if being different is not your cup of tea, then you don't want and you can't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because he makes a difference in my life. Did somebody say he made a difference in your life? Well, ladies and gentlemen, how can I testify that Jesus Christ made a difference in my life and then not realize that I am a different person in this world? God needs some heroes. We are different because we have a different master. We serve a different God than what this world serves. They serve the God mammon. It's all about money. We serve the creator God. They serve the God of self, but we serve a God who gave his only begotten son in such an unselfish manner. We serve a God that says it's all about me, or they do. The world serves that God that says what's in it for me. But I serve a God that was willing to go to a cross and said, I'll take nails in my hands and nails in my feet and a crown of thorns and a spear in my side because it's not about me. It's about Kenny Morris. It's about Andy Hutchins. It's about everybody in this building. I'll die where they can live. That's a God we serve. We serve a God that made a difference in our world and that same God will enable us to make a difference in our world. What is that difference, preacher? What is it? Oh, we've got religions all over this world that, that, that they teach and preach that people identify themselves by wearing a little dinky hat on their head. That's okay. I'm not against that. That's, that's, that's fine. Or they do this or they do that. And I certainly believe that Christians adorn themselves in modest apparel. But I want to tell you that's not the difference. You can dress up like an angel, but if you've got the attitude of a devil, you won't make a difference in anybody's life. The difference is the spirit that dwells inside of me. The difference is I've become one whose body has become the temple of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Woo, can somebody say amen? I'm looking for somebody, God, looking for somebody that will dare to be different. Now, here's our problem. When we hear a sermon like I'm preaching to you tonight, then we think about this. I don't mind being different. I just don't want to pay the price of what it will cost me. I know if I dare to be different, that it's going to cost me something. If I dare to stand alone and stand up and make a difference in my world, then I know that it's going to cause me pain and it's going to cause me suffering. You're exactly right. I wouldn't have you to think otherwise at all because if I did, I'd misrepresent the truth. But Jesus was different. He was different. What did it cost him? It cost him a whip on his back. It cost him nails in each hand. It cost him nails in his feet, a spear in his side, and thorns on his head. So that's the reason that we don't want to stand up. That's the reason we don't want to be a hero. We today and this day in America, honor men and women that said, I'll be different. I know what it'll cost me. I understand what it'll cost me. Many of them said, it'll cost me my very life, separated from my family. But ladies and gentlemen, you can only be a hero when you get your eye off of what it's going to cost you and get your mind on what it's going to create and what it's going to produce. Jesus Christ was willing to pay the price of Calvary that ended Hutchins can be brought out of sin. My God, say amen. Could we for a moment tonight get our eyes off of what it will cost us to stand up and be different and get our mind on the reward? The reward of standing up 
and letting our light shine in the midst of this darkness. For a few minutes tonight, I want to run through a few names of people that dared to be different. I'm going to talk to you about what it cost them. And I want you to understand. I don't want you to make any commitment to God tonight blindly. I want you to understand that there's a price that you'll have to pay if you're going to be different and make a difference in your world. First of all, I want to talk to you about a man by the name of Noah. That ark is what made Noah different. That ark is what made him stand out from everybody else in his world. Can you imagine living in Noah's world when the Bible said they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage? You know what that scripture means? Noah lived in a time when the culture was a party culture. That's all it was. Just a party culture. From this good time to the next good time. From this place to that place with no thought of God, no thought of eternity, no thought of God's judgment. But Noah, Noah chose to be different. And Noah's difference caught the eye of God. And Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Noah, you've got a choice. You can find acceptance in the world or you can find grace in the eyes of God. Can I ask you something, Noah? If you find acceptance from the world, then what's that going to get you? But if you find grace in the eyes of God, what's that going to bring? You're faced with, my God, that same choice tonight. You can give your life up to sin and be accepted by the world, or you can find grace in the eyes of God. Noah found grace, and God said, build an ark. Right out in the middle of desert of a desert, Noah begins to gather gopher wood and saw and hammer and hew and put together a boat. How crazy do you think it is for a man to build such a large ship in the midst of a desert? Do you think for one moment that the town council came out to where Noah was working on that ark and gave him an award for beautifying their city? Do you think for a moment that they came and gave him a plaque and said, Noah, we want to congratulate you on your work that you're building this great big boat here. Uh, uh, do you think that happened for a moment? No. If the town council they did anything at all, they would have come out and said, you idiot, what are you doing? You're messing up our town. You're messing up our reputation. There's no water here. What in the world is wrong with you? Can you imagine the ridicule? Can you imagine the way they laughed and scoffed at that old fool that's out there building a boat? Yes, there's a price to pay. How many days did it happen that the enemy come by and said, Noah, you ought to put down your hammer and you ought to put down your saw and just go join up with the rest of the crowd. There's not a cloud in the sight. In sight. You've been working on this old boat for 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 110, almost 120 years. Why don't you just give it up? Oh, Listen, when you dare to be different, there's a price to pay. They'll call you names. They'll make fun of you. They'll call you a holy roller. They'll call you a do, you know, a, a doctor do little to say amen. They'll make fun of you. They'll tell you that you're so spiritually minded that you're not any earthly good. So that's the reason some of us won't be different in our world. We move on, move on. That's the price it pays. Let's look at a man by the name of Joseph. Joseph was different. You know what made Joseph different? Joseph was a dreamer. Joseph had dreams, ladies and gentlemen. Joseph was a dreamer. And his dreamers and his dreams made him different. His dreams set him apart from his brothers. He had 11 after Benjamin was born. But those 10 older boys, I'm going to tell you, they lived for the present. They lived for right 
right now. But Joseph had dreams about his future. My God, somebody say amen. Joseph dreamed. We won't take time to get into his dreams. You can read about him from the book of Genesis. But while Joseph's brethren were living, gratifying the lust of the flesh, Joseph had dreams of his tomorrows. Joseph had dreams of his futures. One of Joseph's brothers, ladies and gentlemen, fathered twins by his own daughter-in-law. Did you hear what I said? Joseph had a brother, a brother by the name of Judah that was walking down the road one day. His son had died, left his daughter-in-law as a widow, and he saw his daughter-in-law beside the road. Judah went into that lady, thinking her to be a harlot, lay with her, and nine months later, twin boys were born. That's the kind of brothers that Joseph had. He saw it, he wanted it, he got it. Come on, say amen to me, somebody, and disgrace the family. Joseph had some other brothers. Joseph had two brothers by the name of Simeon and Levi that when Jacob lay a dying he said Simeon and Levi are instruments of cruelty. Instruments of cruelty. You know why he said that? There was a time these boys had one sister. Her name was Dinah. There was a time when a, when a man from another nation defiled their sister Dinah. He raped her. He violated her her and they got all fighting mad but that boy that violated their sister happened to be the son of the ruler of that kingdom and so he came to Jacob and he said my boy wants to marry your daughter are you listening this was Joseph's brother my boy wants to marry your daughter Dinah and Jacob got with those boys and they said Papa you know we're Hebrews we're children of Abraham and our women don't marry uncircumcised men you tell him that every Every male in that city has to be circumcised. And once that happens, then he can marry our sister. So the boy, you know, it's a price to pay. But he wanted Dinah. He wanted that beautiful young lady for his wife. They agreed. But you know what Simeon and Levi did? After those men followed that instruction, the next day the Bible said, well, they Sure, that's all right. Come on here. That Simeon and Levi went to town and killed every male in that town. He had another brother by the name of Reuben. Jacob had a concubine named Belda. And Reuben was so vile and so self-possessed until he went in and lay with his father's concubine. And oh, we could go. But Joseph was different. Even when Potiphar's wife winked at him at the supper table, he said, no, because I've got a dream. What did it cost him, Brother Andy? It cost him the hatred of his brethren. Tore up that coat of many colors, dipped it in a lamb's blood, sent it back to their father, and said, Is this your baby boy's conk? Said, We do believe a wild beast has killed him, knowing all the time they sold their own brother into slavery. That's the reason we don't want to be different, because there's a price to pay. Sold him into Egypt. There's Potiphar, and then there's, a, uh, there's Potiphar's wife that could have become every young sinful man's dream. But he said, no, I have a dream. Then there were those years in prison. Yes, it cost something to be different. Does it not? But let's back up for just a moment and take a look, uh, another look at Noah and another look at Joseph. 
And while we're so focused on the criticism, the ridicule, the name calling, the abuse that Noah received because he was dared to be different. I want to point out something else to us tonight. Yes, it was hard to endure such ridicule. But we're past that now. The skies filled with clouds. The thunder is booming loudly. The lightning is flashing brightly. The rain is falling. The boat is now rising off of the floor of the desert and beginning to sway and float upon the waves. The mayor's children are all drowning. The bartender's children are gasping for breath. My God, can I preach a little here? The prostitute's daughters, listen to me, just went down for the last time. But Noah, the man that dared to be different, found his way to the family quarters of that old ark and took a head count. And he said, there's mama. And there's Shem, and there's Ham, and there's Japheth, and there's all three daughter-in-laws. The family was in the ark. Jesus Christ is our ark. We understand that. This ark of Noah is an Old Testament type of Jesus Christ. Yes. Yes, young people. You took a little ribbon and ridiculing because you stood up for Christ in school. Yes, mom, dad. You took a little ribbon and a little ridiculing because you had standards and rules for your family that nobody else had. One of these days, one of these days, while everybody out there in that world and their boys and girls are screaming from the torments of hell, you're going to be somewhere in a mansion and you're going to have a head count and you're going to say there's mama and there's ham and there's shem and there's shep. My God, I want to know something, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to ask Noah when he looks into that living quarters, the family quarters of that ark, and every member of his family is there. I want you to ask him, Noah, was it worth it to dare to be different? Talk about me. Ridicule me. But if Mama and I can sit down in our mansion and our sons and our daughter-in-laws and our grandchildren can come by to visit us on Hallelujah Street, I'm going to look back and say, thank God it was worth it all to dare to be different. Then there's Joseph. There's Joseph. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah, you know, his brothers call him Dr. Doolittle. He didn't ever do anything fun. Old funny daddy, stick in the mud. Yeah. Can you imagine the heartache and the heartbreak as they took his coat of many colors, dipped it in the blood of an animal, and lied to their father? They said he's dead, Pop. That's because they wanted him to be dead. Can you imagine how it felt when they, those midnight traders tied his hands behind him or in front of him perhaps and tied it to a camel's tail and he had to walk in the dust of that camel all the way to Egypt? Can you imagine how it felt to be lied on by Potiphar's wife and said, Potiphar said to her husband, you left this Hebrew here with me and look what he's done when he's not touched her. 
Can you imagine how it felt to be forgotten, to rot in a prison? And that's the reason we don't want to stand. We'll just go along with the crowd. You think about that for a moment. But I want to take you to chapter 2, or 3 or 4 or 5, but whatever. How did it feel when the dreams that made him different came true? When the dreams that didn't let him become a fornicator and an adulterer and a murderer and a liar like his brothers, how did Joseph feel when those dreams came? To reap the harvest of a hero, you have to be willing to pay the price of a hero. God's talking to us tonight. Brian, how did it feel when his dreams came true? Yeah, he was different, he was hated. Outcast, rejected, all of that. You say, well, preacher, what was so important about his dreams? He didn't really know all it meant. Brother Ricky, when he was having those dreams. But what was the fulfillment of his dream? Oh, I know, I know. You're thinking right now the fulfillment of his dream was when those brothers had to come and kneel in front of him. When he was a prime minister in Egypt, yes, that happened. Yes, it did. But that's not the ultimate fulfillment of Joseph's dreams. The fulfillment of Joseph's dreams was this. He saved his family from starvation. He saved his family from dying an awful death of malnutrition. When there was no corn, he provided them with corn. When there was no bread, he provided them with bread. The fulfillment of his dream was number one. He was the instrument of salvation to his family. Mama, maybe if I could help you dream a little, the rebuke and the criticism wouldn't hurt so badly. Maybe if I could help you dream of a day when you kneel and this altar with that wayward daughter and you pray her through to salvation. Maybe, sir, if I could help you dream of a day when that boy that's wrapped up in sin comes home and you have the opportunity to lead him to Jesus Christ. It wouldn't make it so hard to dare to be different. No, it wasn't the fact that they bowed before him. That was not where he got his joy. The fulfillment of that dream was twofold. Number one, he was the instrument of salvation for his family. Number two, he put a dysfunctional family back together. A family, my God, a family that had been torn apart with, with some of the things that I mentioned already. Boys that were murderers, boys that were adulterers, boys that were, my God, somebody listen to me. A family that was torn apart. My God, this man that dared to be different.
different saw his dream fulfilled when Papa and little brother Benjamin and all ten of their brothers and their wives and their children all gathered together down in Goshen and they had a wonderful family reunion and God used Joseph to put that family back together again. Ladies and gentlemen, God's still looking for some heroes. There was Enoch. There was Noah who built an ark to the saving of his house. There was Joseph who's kept his family from dying. Is there any water too deep for you and me to wade through to save our family? Is there any river too wide for me to swim to save my children? Is there any mountain too high to climb to have my whole family in the ark? But then there's Enoch. Enoch was certainly different. What made Enoch different? Enoch had a testimony. It was Enoch's testimony that set him apart, that made him different from the rest of the world. Oh, no, I'm not talking about, you know, testimony meeting and prayer meeting. When anybody got a testimony and you stand up and say, I love the Lord, thank God for everything he's done for me, but if y'all don't pray for me, I'm going to die. The devil's about to kill me. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not your testimony, sir. Your testimony is your life. My testimony is my life. And Enoch had a testimony. What was his testimony? His testimony was that he pleased God. He was a holy roller. He was a Bible believer. He was a man possessed with God. He had a testimony. When he walked down the road, they whispered behind his back, there goes old Holy Joe. No need to invite him. He's not coming. He'd have to pray about it first and see if it's the will of his God. That was his testimony. A godly testimony, which is your life. It'll bring you persecution sometimes. When you won't go to the company Christmas party and get skunky drunk like the rest of them, then they'll talk about you, and they'll laugh at you, and they'll make fun of you. So you know what the easy thing to do is compromise. Just compromise, just a little, not much, just, you know, a little here, a little there. Try not to get too much like the devil, just get to the point that nobody really sees God in your life, you know, just kind of find that middle of the road. I got news for those of you walking down the middle of the road, you're going to get run over from both directions. You just get ready for it. Yeah. So that's the reason we don't want to be different. Because we don't want to pay the price. But I have come to believe that Enoch's reward far outweighed the price that he paid for having that testimony that he pleased God. For the scripture said by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. My God. Woo! Enoch never had pallbearers. Enoch never had to buy a casket. Enoch never had a service where Brother Andy got up and said, Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to pay our last and final respects to Brother Enoch. Because Enoch got raptured. 
Come on, somebody, say amen. That word translated means raptured. It means caught out, taken away, taken to another place. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Yeah, they can call me a cornbread preacher if they want to. They can shut the church door in my face and say that idiot will never preach for me if they want to but one of these days Jesus Christ is going to step over the balconies of heaven and stand on a platform made out of nothing and he's going to look at Gabriel and say Gabriel I want you to blow that trumpet and he's going to look at Christ and say how loud do you want me to blow it and he's going to say I want you to blow it loud enough to wake up the dead and I want you to blow it loud enough that gravity will turn loose of Andy Hutchins and gravity oh God and I'm going to rise in the air and somewhere between here and there I'm going to meet my father my God somebody praise him yes I'll be different if it'll get me raptured yes yes hold on a minute quickly hurry my God is it worth it Enoch, is it worth it? A testimony that he pleased God. And you know what that testimony got him? It got him raptured. And because he got raptured and went to live with God, it got him a new body. And because they couldn't find him and he didn't go back home that night, he got a new home. Yes. That's Paul. You say, preacher, that all sounds good. Oh, how I'd love to have all my family in Jesus Christ, the ark of safety. Oh, how I'd like to be the instrument that saves my whole family. Oh, how I'd like to be the one that puts it all back together like Joseph. Oh, I'd like to be the one that like Enoch. One day they're going to look for me and I'll be gone. But I don't know how, preacher. Or maybe there are those that says I've tried it. And I, and I made it for a while just till the alarm clock went off and I had to wake up. And then I slipped back. How do you do that, preacher? I'm talking to some folks here tonight. You've tried. You've tried to change your way. You tried and failed. But that's your problem. There's thousands, hundreds of thousands of drug addicts that die every day, every week, every month that tried to break the habit. They tried and failed and then died from an overdose. They're gamblers that have lost their homes, their automobiles, the farm their wife, their children, their husband because of their gambling habit. And they've tried time and time again to change. Say amen to me. But that's your problem. That's your problem, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot be that hero just because you want to be. You cannot change your life just because you want to. You cannot become the instrument of salvation for your family just because you want to. Everybody here wants to be rich. Everybody here wants a bigger house. 
except some of us old folks has got more house than we can keep up. But wanting it doesn't produce it, does it? Does it? Paul was different. Never been a man like Paul before nor after and never will be. Paul was a go-along-to-get-along kind of man. Whatever the Sanhedrin wanted, whatever the Jewish religion, the chief priest wanted, Paul went along. Paul was one of those that fit in with the religious and political cliques of his day. But then one day, Paul stopped fitting in and he started standing out and became probably the greatest preacher of the gospel that's ever walked on earth besides Jesus Christ. He didn't do that because he wanted to. He didn't do that because he saw the error of his way and say, I've got to change. No. He didn't go from being Saul the murderer, Saul the persecutor, Saul the villain. He didn't go from being that man to Paul the apostle that led thousands to Christ because he wanted to. No, not at all. The only way a man can go from being a murderer to a preacher of the gospel, the only way a man that can go from a man so full of hate that he has people in prison and killed because they say Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he can go from that much hate to so much love that he could say, I could count myself a curse if it would get my people Israel saved. There's only one way to go through that change and become that person. And the way it happened to Paul it's the same way it's going to happen to me and to you and everybody else. He had an encounter with Jesus Christ. I don't care how bad you want to change. No, an Ethiopian, the scripture said, cannot change the color of his skin. Now the leopard changes spots. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. On a road to Damascus, a light shined from heaven. The word of God spoke to Saul of Tarsus. He fell off of his animal into the midst of that road. My God, would you listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. And right there in the midst of an old sand bed, somewhere between Jerusalem and Damascus, Jesus Christ came and transformed the life of a murderer and made him a child of God. Let me tell you something and you're not without hope. You're not hopeless because the same Jesus that met Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus is walking up and down the aisles of Somerville, Georgia, Pentecostal worship center, ready to reach down to touch your life, to turn off the darkness of sin and to turn on the light of the love of God. Can somebody praise him? Jesus Christ is here. Yes. Tried and failed. You'll fail next time you try. Unless you let Jesus Christ transform your life. Paul was different after that day. Paul, outside of Jesus Christ, is my greatest spiritual hero. There's nobody living or in the pages of history that I would like to pattern my life more after than the Apostle Paul. Your hero. My hero. Because he encountered Christ. How could Paul be that? It cost him. By his own testimony, he said, five times I was beaten with 40 stripes, save one. Three times I was beaten with a rod. Thrice I spent a night and a day under shipwreck. The last years of his life spent in prison. What was his reward? 
of a crown of righteousness. But listen, how could he do that? This is how he could do it. For he said these words, I know in whom I have believed. I know in whom I have believed. In other words, my brother, this is what Paul was saying. I am acquainted with the man that I have put my faith in. I know him. I know that I believed in Christ, but I know Christ. I know in whom I believe, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that that I've committed unto him against that day. What did he commit? He committed his life. I want to ask you something tonight. Maybe, just maybe, I've said something if you stand. we got one more minute, and then I'll be burning this out. I knew I could do it by the help of God. Maybe there's been something said tonight that says, Preacher, there's something in the story of Noah or Joseph or Enoch or many others that makes me want to become a hero for God. Come on, I want to see if there's any hands out there that says, I want to be that person that makes a difference. Number one, you can't do it on your own. But any potter worth his salt can take the ugliest piece of clay and make a beautiful vessel. There's never been a potter like Jesus Christ. He can take a rag that's nothing with a bucket full of mud. Life, it's nothing but a bucket full of mud. Pick out the rocks, the stones, and make a beautiful vessel out of it. Number one, you have to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Number two, you got to know what you believe. You got to believe there's a heaven that gave. The hell to shut. Number three, you've got to know it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. Would you bow your head? Get a little music up here.